Hey, people. Happy New Year, and thanks so much for coming back and listening to the Minorities in Publishing podcast. For new and returning listeners, you may know that you can find the podcast on minoritiesinpublishing.tumblr.com, on Twitter at Minorities in Pub, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The first guest of 2023, God help us <laughs> for what this year will bring. But I'm, I'm wishing all goodness for all of us, but especially Kashana Cauley, the author of the debut novel, The Survivalist, which by the time this episode posts will be published by Soft Skull Press, which is a part of Catapult Books. And I really encourage you to get it if you haven't already pre-ordered. She's a writer for The Great North a former staff writer for The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, and a former contributing opinion writer for The New York Times. So thank you so much for your time, Kashana. Thanks for having me. And congrats. You finished the book and got it published. Those are many feats in one. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's the end of a 10-year journey, so I'm not yeah. taking anything for granted. And just to give people a sense of the book, The Survivalist is about a young Black woman named Aretha who lives in New York City and practices law. And she goes on to date a young man, also Black Aaron, and they move in together. The Survivalist pertains to everybody. However, it is kind of focused primarily and initially on Aaron's two roommates, Brittany and James, who Aretha becomes entangled with in some ways as she starts to question things in her life. So where did the survivalist percolate then? It started out with a couple of news articles about New York City survivalists. There was one set, a couple in their 20s living in the village, like 9th between 5th and 6th. They, they were house-sitting somebody's house and stockpiling guns. And it was like, guys, you don't really need to Bonnie and Clyde in the village. There's nothing to fear here. There's no crime. And then there was another guy who was stockpiling guns at the end of my block in Prospect Heights on top of like a trendy ramen shop. Again, nothing to fear, no crime, nothing to protect yourself against. Prospect Heights wouldn't know what crime was. Um, yeah, so I did not understand those people and became obsessed with them. But I also grew up in a house where my parents stockpiled food. They have a gun stash. And so I think when I saw those, those articles, I just started connecting all that. I went, you know what? I want to write about this weird point of view where you're preparing for things that you don't know what you're preparing for. I just have to do it. And it's wild because it's coming out three years into a pandemic. Mm -hmm. When I think about survivalists, the first thing that wouldn't come to my mind would be guns. I wouldn't think guns. I would think more about what your parents were doing, which is stockpiling food, getting water, getting batteries, all those things. So it's very interesting where certain mindsets are going, especially for these characters of, we need guns, lots of guns. Jumping off from that, where did those characters come from for you in terms of seeing them pretty concretely in the building of this whole novel? I used to live a block from where the book is set on Vanderbilt, this really grand avenue of brownstones and restaurants. After reading about those other folks who were stockpiling guns, I started thinking, you know, what is the weirdest place that you could maybe be a survivalist in, like the most unexpected place? And I thought the middle of my neighborhood was perfect. It's this sort of like, it's a very laid back neighborhood. I think if it is just a place where people go out to eat every night and on the weekends and like stroll up and down Vanderbilt, like it's like Sunday and you're showing off your new clothes and your baby. And it just, it's very cozy and comfortable. It wasn't 
and from like 2013 to 2019 when I lived there. I like putting people in the most possible conflict. I feel like if you just are going to create a character, they should be in a circumstance where the absolute max amount of conflict is possible. And just this house of people, that peaceful neighborhood, this like you just I felt like asking myself, you know, why are they doing this all day long? That's where they came from. Just a desire for that amount of conflict and contrast. Because also for a lot of these characters, for Brittany, James, I mean, Aaron seems very evasive through that. And just to kind of give even more context to the novel for people I'm saying these names, like Aretha is the, the outsider, quote unquote, from this core trio that is in that survivalist mindset. But Aaron is the guy she starts dating and then she moves in. I feel like that's not a spoiler. I hope it comes no, like eighty less than 80 pages into the book. And then Brittany and James are also his roommates. But Aaron doing his coffee thing, because he owns a coffee bean repository, however you call it, and he's going around the world and he's absent for a good amount of this book. And I feel like that's also very representative of his mindset of, I don't see it, I don't have to worry about it until I have to worry about it. And so each of these characters, to me, kind of really represented a really different perspective. Aretha, who's coming into it and then will she adapt how is she reacting to things Brittany who seems pretty hardcore into like we need to be prepared for something and James who has a lot going on <laughs> like the, the white dude got a lot going on and, <laughs> and Aaron's like I'm just gonna do my thing and it felt like almost a workplace <laughs> too I could see each of these characters very clearly and understand where they're coming from. But especially Aretha, who is the one we're following for most of this. And, and I loved your first chapter because she's like painstakingly preparing for her first date with Aaron mm -hmm. and decides on gray sweats. <laughs> it's like, it's like you, you get what you get, my friend. And I'm like, feel this deeply in my soul. Might be me next week. I don't know, but... <laughs> There's a lot there in terms of her journey. And, and I wondered as I'm flipping the pages and reading, did you know where that was going for her? Did you kind of feel like, okay, I know where Aretha, I want Aretha to land by the time you close this book? No, I just knew that I wanted her to be challenged. I wanted to take a circumstance that was completely contrary to her values and her acts and deeds up until that point. And I wanted her to be forced to change them in a way that she found uncomfortable and gross. I had no idea where she was going. I would like put on her music every day and I would channel her like I was a medium and I would just see where the writing took me that day. And somewhere in the middle of like, after I got a draft done, after I got a couple drafts done, you know, I saw the arc. And then I started thinking, oh, this is where I want her to end up. But that first trip through the narrative, maybe two or three trips through the narrative even, I had no idea where she was going. And then even into the editing process, both my agent and my editor suggested things to kind of tweak her arc a little bit and like deepen some of her emotions that she was feeling and what was being expressed on the page. And those things caused me to take her in different directions that I also did not foresee, but ended up loving. I had a lot of empathy for Aretha. I mean, again, from the first page, I was just like, yep. And then also just dealing with all the, this is what you're supposed to do, mm -hmm. right? And that's a term of survival for Black women, especially, you know, being educated, being professional. Mm -hmm. What does this look like? What does success look like? What are we supposed to be doing? Are we being rewarded, quote unquote, for yep. all these things that we're doing 
theoretically that are right? That's a big question for Aretha at, at her life. And it's interesting, like the turns you, you made with her of where she went, because I was like, oh, this could have gone a totally different route of which I'm really tiptoeing around it because I don't want to spoil, <laughs> spoil it. I think I did and didn't expect it to end where it did because I think there's a lot of power in subtleties versus explosion. Yes, that makes sense. So I really appreciated going through that journey. I felt like she was simmering a little bit. Did you feel like that for her? Yes, she was simmering. You think that's also because she didn't know how to feel? This inability to express, this inhibition that maybe has been kind of placed within her because, you know, when you do things the right way, again, quote unquote, how do you react when you decide that that may not be the best way anymore? Oh, very much so. She's stepping out of the lake trying to figure out if the ice is frozen or not (laughs) for like the entire book. Every step she takes out onto the lake could be the last one. Right. In a lot of She feels like she's going beyond her depth at some point. She doesn't know where that's going to be. But at the same time, because she is a person who very much wants to follow rules and has devoted her life to the straight and narrow and all that, she wants to break from that a little bit. I do think you were right when you said something like, us Black women, there's so much more pressure for us to do what we're supposed to. And she's dying under that. But she's terrified trying to step off of it at the same time because she doesn't really have other people in her life that are doing that or any examples of what to do she just she needs this guy and she's gonna see what's up and it is scary for her it's the unknown it really is terrifying and she handles it as well as she can for the most part because again when you're getting back to like kind of that thematic element of survival i feel like every day a lot of the time we think about that and and i don't want to put this kind of doomsday narrative on black women because that's not appropriate or accurate and at the same time i really do feel like there's just like constant negotiation Mm -hmm. happening which is really greatly reflected in Aretha of like well what the hell am I supposed to do now (laughs) like I guess I'll just like okay I'm just gonna be real calm (laughs) real calm and see how this pans out and so you said survivalist was a 10-year journey in terms of where you started but you were doing a lot of things over that 10 years so were you still in law around the time that you were writing or had you stepped out of law and gone into writing by that time? I had stepped out of law and gone into writing. I have three drawer books. To be honest, The Survivalist didn't take me that long to write. I knew where I wanted to go with that story. I outlined it very well. It came together maybe in six months. I worked on some drafts for like a couple years beyond that. But yeah, I started out, I was a lawyer. I have a very supportive husband. He was like, hey, do you want to write? And I said, yeah, that's always actually been my dream. So I, I took my step off the deep end and went for that. Started out in short stories, pretended I could write essays for editors and decided to turn some things in and they went way way better than I'd expected and ended up writing essays for people accidentally stumbled into tv via twitter dms and then I started putting together novels (laughs) because that was my dream the entire time I just throughout this whole process I'd put together a novel every couple years and see if I could finish it and if it was in good enough shape to take out to agents I had one novel where two different versions of it got represented by two different agents and neither of them sold it and so I went back to the drawing board and so yeah this is the culmination of 10 years of that I was wondering especially working in the industry I think People don't realize that people are working in so many different genres. So even if you take off in one genre, it doesn't mean that's the genre you want to kind of 
be in, right? So I can only imagine like maybe you were pursued to do memoirs or like humor essays or something like that because of your Twitter presence and all that stuff and being like, hey, can you do some essays? And be like, well, I have these novels. Every couple of years, somebody would approach me about doing a book of humor essays and it's just not my jam. Like I just- Oh, you definitely, that's a hard no, that's hard. (laughs) I think it's really hard to make those work. I actually think that's one of the hardest genres to succeed in. I think it's hard to be that funny and it's hard to have enough stories from your life that kind of work. I read those and they're tough. Yeah. To get right. You could just compile all the tweets. (laughs) 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 And just like archive the tweets and be like, there you go. Just recycle that and get that money. Yeah. <laughs> like, right encyclopedia of tweets. Yeah, yeah. that's where we're going. <laughs> I downloaded my archive like three weeks ago. I was like, what's happening? Download. Everyone's been fired? Download it. <laughs> that's 12 years. I don't know what's there, but damn it, I want it. Mine is blank. I actually tried downloading mine three yeah. three weeks ago and they gave me nothing. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, it's not blank. I haven't like erased that much stuff. Not but all. they just said there was no data in it. So the last 11 years of my life don't exist other than all the places those have been like picked up and syndicated. Oh, no. Someone has to have it. We have to. Oh, no. Elon's not handing it over. You know, I'm in yeah. jail or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So jealous of all of you have a history of your time on Twitter. I mean, I have a zip file, but I've not opened the zip file. <laughs> I just backed it up. It was like, great, I have it. So theoretically, maybe mine is blank too. <laughs> this is a culmination of all this work. And then this is the novel that sells and you go with Soft Skull. And your editor is Mensa, yeah? Yeah. Mensa's the best. Was he the editor that got it? He's understood my work since 2015 when he was my editor on a catapult column about social class. Mm. He generally understands my work. He 100% understood this novel, but I figured I'd have a good shot with him. I specifically was like, I want you to send him this to my agents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have a good like repertoire. Like I just, yeah, he's edited years of my work. A one oh, short fantastic. story, a whole year's worth of columns. I love Mensa. He gets it. <laughs> oh, okay. So then that was just a no-brainer that it just worked out yeah. really well. Uh, you didn't have to yep. figure that out. That feels very gratifying, I feel like, where you don't have to figure each other out as you're getting into your first book coming out in the world. You just have that trust. Oh, yeah. No, he just called me up for the first round of edits. And it was like, hey, how you doing? You know, how's your family? And we called up. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gave me notes. It's always like that. It is so relieving to go into this process where, you know, as a debut novelist, I know nothing. Like, this is my first rodeo and I'm learning all about publishing a book with somebody that I already trust on the editorial side. It just takes so much of the worrying off my plate. It's beautiful. I really like hearing that, especially in these weird times where people are on strike and (laughs) who knows what's going on. There's so much secrecy in the business and that trust is really imperative, I feel like, because as authors, you're being asked to not just create. Then there's the vulnerability of going out and talking about this ad nauseum, potentially. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really helpful to just know that everyone's looking out for you, which I feel like people are for the most part, but there's just something different when you have, like you said, that rapport from before where we just know each other, we just trust each other. 
And shouts to Soft Skull for sending out your book with some coffee. Oh, they were, yeah. They were sending out with some coffee because I was like, Wait, why am I getting coffee? Oh, they sent me one of those too. I was so touched. Like my, my oh, publicist, you put together the coffee. She had a really lovely black owned roaster that she was into. Yeah. And she's like, give this a shot. And it was so yummy. And I just thought it was really nice. Because yeah, oh. I, this is the, the coffee roasting is a pretty significant. It is tack in the book but yeah it is kind of an unexpected gift i love how they did that yeah yeah I, i'm glad they're keeping it black get on y'all oh me too i appreciate that this doesn't need to be said <laughs> just the black owned stuff so at the end of the la how are you feeling as of when we're talking your book is coming out in four days that is really overwhelming to me. I, on some level, did not think this was going to happen after three dead books and like three mm -hmm. other careers. I just, I am a writer. I just thought I would be a writer in other ways. And the book, I mean, so many people seem to like it already, which is also nuts. I hear something Good. from like, yeah, there's a lot of press. I got a great New York Times review the other day. Well, I'm, 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 my really is more like you seem surprised yeah. <laughs> that people <laughs> like it. Not that you got good press. Sorry. <laughs> there's a lot of debut novels out there. There's a lot of novels in general. There's a lot of books being published. I feel like it's hard to, you know, necessarily get folks to be aware of your book, much less mm. decide that they like it. I want to give another shout out to the publicity team. So, Salia. They had arcs early. Mm -hmm. Like I was hearing about your book for a bit. So I think they also really were great about not just getting the coffee and getting all those things, making sure we knew your book was coming out well before. I think it was February or March of last year that I first heard. Oh, we have arcs available. And I'm like, get the hell out of here. I was like, I was wow. Like, that's people did that either and I was amazed and people yeah and there was a great reaction to those and I just felt like we were great together as a team from the beginning because of that in a way yeah, yeah yeah so I hope you feel continually taken care of as you launch into this amazing debut year and get to start it out so is it kind of refreshing to be able to start it out at the beginning of the year yes now that I kind of see a little bit more about how books work I think it would be tougher to be in June your first time around or whatever just yeah you know, it's, tw it's 2023 and all of a sudden it's like, it's the 2023 books. And it's really nice to be up there at the top of the year with the other top of the year books. I'm not very patient. so <laughs> With the other novels and all that, that shows patience too, to just keep committing to writing them and then doing it again and doing it again. Yeah, but I think I launched so many other careers that I just kind of got into to past the time that I feel sort of impatient. And I did so much writing for all of those. That was how I actually did my impatient part. That's how I exercised impatience. Okay. Other writing. Okay. So, so would that be a level of advice you'd give to writers in terms of so many of us are juggling other things because rent, mortgage, mm -hmm. healthcare, all these things. But you launched, like you said, other careers over time, but you were still writing these novels and you were still pursuing being a published author in this way. Of course, like you said, you, you've been an you've been a writer this whole time. So is that kind of what helped you just propel to just keep going and not really ever see the books as something that wouldn't happen, but just like, okay, well, maybe it's just a different medium. 
and then I come back to books or you're doing these things simultaneously? Uh, Very much so. I did those things simultaneously. If a book got rejected, I would tell myself that I could do other projects. It helped me to take time off between individual drawer books to do something else and come back and feel refreshed when I wanted to write another book. For me, it helped get rid of some of the fear of failure too. I could, well, I could be rejected doing four types of things instead of one, but also get accepted more often too. So I was constantly getting positive feedback about my writing, even if it wasn't the novels. And I think that helped a lot. It seems like you really feel dedicated to craft too. You were dedicated to producing. You were dedicated to putting something on the page. That's what it sounds like. Yes, but also making sure that it's done in the proper voice. I want everything to sound like me. I have tried to fight for that across medium. Yeah, I want everything to be an extension of how I feel on the page and what how I feel in my head. Do you think you'll ever go back to the other ones after some distance and come back to those? What's funny is one of the juror books is a novel about gun dealing in Chicago under different circumstances that has an absolute ton of gun research and as well as like despair about being unemployed and like wondering if that was the only way somebody could make money. That is very much like all the research of that. The best parts of that are in this book. So I did go back to that one and go, you know, I know some of the stuff about some of this world. I spent eight years on a book about musicians that is probably dead. I love them. I think I was saying something about like the history of Black people in rock music and like how that would carry through into the present and whatnot. But I also think it's hard to write about music because if nobody's going to hear the music, it's hard to get across on the page what it would sound like. And so it's hard to connect to it. If there's a great book, The Last Revival of Opal and Nev by Donnie Walton, she does a good job with that. I can hear her music. I can see those performances. I can see the the artists, Opal and Nev in her book. But that's hard. And I don't think I did it as well as she does. Everybody should read that. Yes. Amazing. I read that book through three times when I got it. The first time around, I was just like, oh, man, we're really modeling it on Altamont? And then I got past the Altamont stuff and I was like, okay, this isn't just a book about the 70s. Like she's really got these great characters and they're unique and they're original and they're hers. And then by, I was three quarters of the way through and she, without spoiling for folks who haven't read that one, just drops the name of a their big song that they're doing and it's like got an expletive in it. And they've got this absolutely crazy performance that they do that is kind of like all over the place and a little bit violent. And I'm like, oh man, this is it. <laughs> I can feel these shows that don't exist. I, I I felt like I attended the concerts in her book. Oh, fantastic. I have it in, <laughs> in, all this, in all of this chaos. And Donnie's just the sweetest human. And so I'm sure she'll be very happy to hear. With the survivalists coming out in terms of the conversation you will be having with people, readers for virtual events and all these things, is there any kind of big takeaway or something you're looking forward to discussing with people about the survivalists at large? I tend to think that when books are in the world, they have very little to do with their authors. And I've already been thrilled at the broad swath of opinions and takes that people have brought to the book that I would never have considered when I wrote it. So I'm just going to leave that up to them. I just hope people enjoy it. I do aim to entertain. That was literally all I want to accomplish that I would talk about in that that sphere. I have feelings. I have feelings, but I appreciate it where Aretha ended up. Thank you so much, Kashana, for taking your time to talk to me. We know you're very present on the social media. Would you like to lay down your handles on 
where you're most active, where you're open to hear people's positive thoughts on survivalists. I am really a Twitter person. I am also Kashana Kali on Twitter, no space, just one big word. I am trying to get to use Instagram, but I'm sort of terrible at it. I don't really have a lifestyle. I think people... <laughs> I have lifestyles are better at it, you know, like if you have a yacht to pose on, it works a little better. So I've got to find a yacht <laughs> in the next year, New Year's resolution, so I can be better at Insta. Can you screen um, but- grab the tweets to Insta? Could that just be an extension? I'm like, will it work? I got her show and it worked very well for her. I just don't know that I'm that sort of person. But if Twitter seems like it's going to be funky, you know, maybe I'll reconsider. And so that's Kashana Kali, K-A-S-H-A-N-A-C-A-U-L-E-Y. Yes. And again, The Survivalist is out January 10th. Happy New Year, y'all. Get it from Soft Skull. Encouraging you to get it from your indies because we love an indie bookstore, especially a BIPOC-owned indie bookstore. But, you know, get it wherever you can, ebook, audio, all that good stuff. It's a really intriguing read and I can't wait for us to have some online book club discussions about it because you know what's happening. Cause <laughs> like, what's this happening? It's like, who finished it? <laughs> like, boy, we gotta talk about this this Aaron dude because I just find them really suspicious, Kasha. I'm sorry. Was suspicious of him the whole time. I mean, like, he just, to not give anything away, he just disappears at a weird time. Like, it's like, what are you doing all that, like, you know, attraction, and you know, we love each other, and then why are we disappearing? Like, what's up with that? Right, right. And you're mad chill. Like, why are you that chill? Mm -hmm. That's way too chill. (laughs) Considering everything that's going on in your house, in your life, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, nah. Like, I get it, though. I get it, Aretha, but (laughs) something's there. Thank you again for being on and thank you for this book. Major congrats. So happy for you and so happy that you're in a space with Soft Skull that's been treating you very, very well. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad you connected to the book. It's, you know, it's been a dream of mine to meet people like you who read my book and like connect to it. And I think we had a really good conversation about it. I think you brought up a lot of good points. So it's really been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. And thank y'all for listening. Once again, you can find the podcast on Twitter, Tumblr, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Take care.